Welcome, happy Memorial Day to all the Valley family. We want to give a big shout out uh, to our Poughkeepsie campus, of course. Those of you that are joining us uh, at our Poughkeepsie campus, also our online campus as well. Wherever you are, hope you're enjoying uh, a great Memorial Day weekend. And uh, we're in week number two, actually, of this series that we started last week called Slaying Giants. And if you have your Valley app, you can go ahead and open that up. We've got a lot of good notes in there for you today that you can follow along, fill in the blanks, and and look back on, uh, because today the giant that we're going to be looking at is is uh, is one that generally we don't think is too big of a deal, and we don't see that often. Uh, uh, just real quick, last week we started the series, and we looked at what we call Freddy Fear, the giant of fear, and uh, today we're going to look at uh, another one of these giants, and that is Gary Greed. Gary Greed, here he is, you see him right here, Gary's got a wild full of cash, big gold chain, but notice he's all shackled up, even has a big uh, like hammer in his arms there, in his hands, it's all gold as well. Uh, looks looks kind of nasty. Uh, greed is a very interesting thing, and of all the giants we're going to be looking at in this series, uh, greed is interesting because Gary Greed here is really a shapeshifter. Uh, you know, sometimes he's, he looks like this, he's big and he's ugly, but at the same time, he can also be really, really small and very, very subtle. And so the first thing is we start talking about Gary Greed and really greed versus generosity in our time together today. Here's the first statement I think is really important for us to think about. Greed is difficult to see in the mirror. Greed is really difficult to see in the mirror. In other words, we never, hardly ever do we see this in ourselves. It's always someone who has more than us that's greedy. But the reality is, is that greed affects every single person. It doesn't matter how much money you have or how much money you don't have. Greed is no respecter of persons. Greed affects the poor and greed affects the incredibly rich and wealthy as well. And, and so uh, greed, I like to put it this way, greed is a weed that grows where generosity should really live. Greed is a weed that grows where generosity should actually live. So last week, uh, I celebrated my 28th anniversary as a pastor uh, at Valley Christian Church here, and, and thank you for all the love that Valley Fam sh- uh, showed me, and uh, uh, you know, it was, it was a really, really wonderful day, and, and in the aftermath of that as well. But I got to thinking about this whole idea of greed. 28 years as a pastor, uh, it's oftentimes people, you know, reach out to me and say, hey, can you pray for me about this? Pray for me about, pray for me about addictions. Pray for me about this sickness. Pray for me about this relationship. Do you know in 20 28 years. I mean, people just ask you to pray for everything. No one has ever come to me and said, Greg, would you please pray for me because I am greedy. See, greed is really, really hard to see in the mirror. 28 years, almost three decades, I have never even heard anyone ever say, I have a real problem with greed. It's very, very difficult because greed is a weed that grows where generosity should live. And it's very, very difficult to see in the mirror. And, and that's why uh, we need to look at this. Gary Greed, because he's a shapeshifter. He can be big and ugly, that's true. And most of the times we see the big and ugly in other people and we never look inside and see the subtle and small Gary Greed in us. But he's a weed and he grows up into something much, much larger The most dangerous and effective enemy that any one of us will ever face is the one we don't recognize. 
the one that we don't see. And so let's go back where we were last week, kind of framing this whole series. In Numbers chapter 13, I want to do kind of a real quick review. This is how we're framing the whole series, and this is the nation of Israel under Moses. God has uh, worked through Moses to deliver the people of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt, and, and they've gone through the wilderness, and now they're on the cusp, on the bank of the Jordan River, to enter into the promised land that God had for them, and uh, Moses sends out 12 spies, and they come back with a report. Uh, let's look at it real quick again and they gave Moses this account the 12 spies we went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey we said that's really great news isn't it unless you're lactose intolerant uh, for the milk there then it's really bad news but anyway uh, here it is here is the fruit they're like look at the fruit look at how huge it is but the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large we even saw the descendants of Anak there and then it goes on and it says then Caleb silenced the people. The, de- the, the descendants of Anak were giants. Anak was a giant, and the de- his descendants were giants. And then Caleb silenced the people uh, before Moses and said, and we talked about this last week, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. These giants we're looking at, this is not an individual mano a mano sport. It's we together. That's why it's important to talk about it and to live it and to flesh it out in the context of together as the Valley family. We can certainly do it. And it goes on and says, but the men who had gone up with him, with Caleb and Joshua, they were the two that came with a positive report. The other 10, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And it goes on and it says, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. You hear this whole giant mindset here? devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are great size. In other words, they're giants. Goes on and says, we seem like grasshoppers, watch this now, in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Total mindset. We look like grasshoppers in our own eyes. The problem was with the 10 spies in their own mind and thinking. As we talked some about last week. And We look the same to them. See, while the nation of Israel was wandering in the wilderness, God fed them manna every day. And it's pretty interesting. It was manna from heaven, supernatural food, provision from heaven. And God had some real requirements on it. You you had to go out in the morning and you pick the manna up, kind of a, scholars aren't exactly sure what manna was, uh, but some kind of like bready type thing you would think. Uh, most scholars believe, uh, and, and, and they would eat it, but they weren't allowed to take more than just for that one day, a- except when it was the Sabbath, uh, the Sunday, and then on Saturday, or the Sabbath that they had, they actually were allowed to take two days worth, pick up two days worth. If they picked up more than one day's worth, it would spoil, it would rot. So God supernaturally provided for them, but now he had a land flown of milk and honey prepared for them, But these spies preferred manna, had a manna mindset just for today instead of the mindset of a land flowing with milk and honey. See, what's the difference between these two mindsets? It's real important as we talk about Gary Greed. Manna means barely enough. It's a scarcity mindset. Just for today is all I have. It's a scarcity mindset like these 10 spies had that spread a bad report throughout the nation. A milk and honey mindset, what does that mean? More than enough, that means abundance. Anything left over is abundance. Anything left over is abundance. 
And God wants to move the people of Israel from a manna mindset just today, short-sighted, only today, to a milk and honey mindset. And I think God wants to do that in the life of the Valley family as well. I think he wants to do that in your life. I think he wants to do that in my life as well. To move from a manna mindset, a scarcity mindset, to an abundance mindset. And you know what keeps us in a scarcity mindset? Gary Greed. Gary Greed keeps us in a scarcity mindset. Think about it for a minute. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. What does that mean? First of all, milk, what is that? That means there was cows. There was beef. I love a good steak. If there was flowing with milk, milk comes from cows or milk comes from goats. And so, so there, was, there was livestock. And, and, and in order to have milk with, from cows or from goats, what does that mean? Great vegetation for them to feed on. And then it was flowing with milk and honey. Honey means bees. And what does bees mean? Flowers. This was a beautiful, the, the promised land that God had for them was a beautiful land full of vegetation, flowers, livestock. You got prime rib. You, you, you got uh, all kinds of different ribs. You, you know, just, just all kinds of delicacies. This is what God had for them. Like, no, we want manna. We want just that little kind of bready substance every morning. That's all we want. So God's trying to move them from a manna mindset to a milk and honey mindset. And I believe God wants to do that for you and for me too. So three points today as we look at Gary Greed because Gary Greed is really a manna mindset. It's a narrow-minded, I never have enough scarcity mindset. I gotta hold on, I have to hang on to everything that I have. Three points, and these three points we're gonna repeat for the rest of the series as we look at each of these giants. Next week, uh, we're gonna look at Barry Bitterness, and uh, uh, I hope you'll invite some friends to that because uh, God wants to get us free of bitterness. But, but here's the first point is this. We gotta see the giant. We've gotta see the giant. In order to defeat him, in order to slay giants, if we're gonna really be slaying giants, we've gotta see the giant. And so let's look at New Testament where it talks about greed, this whole idea here. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 10, the Bible says, but godliness, watch this now, with contentment, not more, not a more mindset, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. In other words, I've never seen a hearse, uh, you know, funeral procession with, it, with a U-Haul on the back. You can't take it with you. None of these possessions you can take with you. Can't take it with you. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And then the Bible goes on and says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And from my vantage point as a pastor for 28 years, I've seen way too many people that have destroyed their marriage, destroyed their families, destroyed their life over this very thing. Over this, consume more and more and more and more. Trying to get rich. And they fall into harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. And here's verse 10. This is so important. You probably heard this misquoted. We're going to get it right now. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money. Money's neutral. But the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Let's keep reading is the root of all kinds of, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves through 
with many griefs. In other words, hurt themselves because of the love and the pursuit of money. This word is pretty interesting here. Again, it doesn't say money is the root of all evil. The love, the pursuit of wealth. Like, like that's my drive. That's what I'm all about. Pierce themselves through with many griefs. God wants us to have an abundance mindset, not a scarcity mindset. But the reality is for so many of us, we are already incredibly abundantly blessed. But we have a scarcity mindset nonetheless. This word is interesting, eager for money. This is Greek word, uh, and it literally means, watch this now, eager for money. What are they talking about? It's the Greek word, and it means craving, to long for, to passionately desire some goal or purpose. I want to be rich. Pierce themselves through with many griefs. Many, many griefs. And so the lens of fear that I'm never going to have enough, what does that look like? The lens of fear equals greed. I'm never going to have enough, so I have to consume. I have to keep it all for myself, spend it all on me and mine, more, 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 more. That's the lens of fear. That's Freddie Fear teaming up with Gary Greed. See, they like to work together as a team. That's why it takes we together slaying these giants. The lens of fear is greed. I never have enough. The mana mentality, the scarcity mindset. In other words, the more I get, the more is for me. That's the lens of fear. That's, that's Gary Greed. The lens of faith, though, when we trust in God, is generosity. Generosity. The milk and honey mindset. The abundant mindset. The mindset that says, I'm blessed to be a blessing to others. It's not just about me and mine. It's to bless others. God has blessed me so that I can bless other people, not just to consume on myself. And so we have to see this. So, so let me ask you a question. You know, maybe you're in one of those situations where but depending on what your job is, uh, you know, you have an annual review and, and, and maybe there's a compensation increase that, that is uh, uh, attached to that or, or maybe a bonus in sales, you know, something like that. What's your mindset? Where does your mind immediately go? More for me and mine or more for me to be generous for others? See, it's a mindset. It's lack or it's abundance. Lack or Abundance. So we need to see this because, again, Gary Greed is really hard to identify in the mirror. Really, really difficult. I, I mean, the, the way you can see it, you can't see it in the mirror, but you can see it in the rearview mirror. Because remember 10 years ago, you know, for some of us, like maybe 10 years ago, remember when you were a teenager, it was like, man, I just, if I could just have my own car. All you wanted was four wheels and then it would start in the morning. Now it's like, what kind of car? And do I have all the options that I want? And oh no, I have last year's model. Or remember when it was like, one day I just hope to own a home. And now you've owned three and you're not happy with the one you're living in. See, you can see Gary Greed in the rear view mirror. But it's really hard to see in the mirror of, the tit, of today. The lens of generosity. The lens of faith is generosity. So important. And we use this, you can hear it in the way we talk, can't you? It's so important that we don't confuse needs with greeds. 
Need, we, we say, I need this, when really we don't need it, we greet it. Really, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with your current computer. It works fine. There, there, there's nothing wrong with the home you live in or the, the car you drive. It works great. Your clothes still button up in the front, you know. It's all right. Don't confuse need with greed. Gary Greed always wants to flip these things so that we think we need, in actuality, what we actually greed. And so we got to see Gary Greed for who he really is. Now let's slay him. Now let's slay him. We see him. Now, now let's slay Gary Greed. How are we going to do it? Well, right back into 1 Timothy chapter 6, it's a powerful passage about wealth, about love of money, about generosity, about stewardship, about perspective from God's mindset and his perspective. And so let's look at it now. 1 Timothy 6, just dropping down a, a little bit there into verse 17. We left off of verse 10. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Well, let's just time out there because so many times uh, we think it's the other guy who's rich. It's not us who's rich. And, and you know, I believe this with everything. I mean, I think every Christian at some point, you need to go to a third world country on a mission trip. You really do because it will show you. And, and by that, I don't mean to stay in a hotel. Stay in someone's home. Stay in someone's home. Because so many times, I'm not talking about sightseeing, I'm not talking about travel, uh, you, you know, or, or anything like that where it's just like, hey, let's just take in, you know, uh, all the landmarks or anything. I'm talking about staying in someone's home in a third world nation. I've, I've done that before. My family had done that. And it changes you. you. You realize, man, we are crazy rich in this country. Crazy rich. I, I think the last statistic that I heard that it's, it's like less than 5% of the population of the world owns an automobile. Five percent. Not only that, we have rooms to drive our cars into so they don't get rain or snow on them. They're called garages. I, I have friends in, in places of Eastern Europe that they literally still have to go out to the well every morning to draw water for their home. We're rich. Rich is not the other guy. Rich is not the billionaire. We're rich. The fact that so many of us, we actually went to the closet and had to decide what we're going to wear. And isn't it true? So many times we say this, oh, I just have nothing to wear today. And you're looking at a closet full of clothes. Mindset. It's a mindset. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, watch this, but to put their hope in God. Put my hope in God is what the scripture says. Not in my possessions, not in my ability to, to handle and manage my finances. Put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. There's nothing wrong with us having nice stuff. The problem is when nice stuff has a grip on us, a hold on our lives. Right here the Bible says he's provided with us everything for our enjoyment. There's nothing wrong with us enjoying this. In fact, it's pretty interesting. The whole context here, uh, as Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing to Timothy, uh, the pastor of the church of Ephesus, was Ephesus was actually a, a city full of wealthy, retired Roman generals, incredibly wealthy. And, and they were being, uh, their lives were being transformed as they were putting their faith in Jesus Christ. 
And, and, and now Paul, the Holy Spirit, God himself is speaking through the Apostle Paul as he writes this and is saying, give these instructions to these wealthy, retired Roman generals who are now followers of Christ. Don't put their trust in their bank account or their savings account or their 401k. Don't, don't put their trust in their, their ability uh, for their pension or, or any of those things. Tell them to put their trust in God. He's given them everything to enjoy, but make sure that they're master over those things and that money's not master over them. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Command them to be generous. It's not even like suggest or here's something to think about. Command them to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. And then watch what it says. In this way, how? being rich in good deeds and being generous. So many times, because of Gary Greed, we rationalize, well, I'll just give my time. And giving my time is not the same as being generous with what God's given to me, my money and my finances. I've seen so many Christians like, I'll just give my time. But here, it's so interesting. Let's just go back there. Uh, can we just go back there again? It splits these two things out as two separate things. Two separate things God splits out here. Be rich in good deeds, yes, but at the same time, don't neglect, be generous. Financially, to be generous with other people. Be generous, not, not for me and my family, but for others, be generous. And then it goes on and says, by doing that, being rich in good deeds and being generous to others, being generous for God's work, in this way, how? By rich in good deeds, generous towards others, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. In other words, by the good deeds we do and by our generosity, it affects and impacts our eternal rewards in the life to come. Powerful. The, the two are not the same. These aren't synonyms. They're split out in Scripture here, clearly. And so we have to put wealth in its proper context that, that, uh, that it's not a sin to have money. It's a sin when money has a grip on you and on me. And God has so much more for us than greed can ever deliver to us. Let me say that again. God has so much more for us than greed can ever deliver to you and me, but that's the subtlety. That's the shapes shifting of greed whispering in our ears. And so three things here that I think are important as we're looking at slaying Gary Greed. First of all, if you feed greed, it grows into a giant. If you feed greed, it grows into a giant. He just starts as like a little weed, like we said before, but he grows into a great, great giant if we don't pull the weeds. Uh, here's the second thing. Greed makes God small and me big. Greed makes God small in this way. Let me clarify it. I can't really trust God. I can't really trust him. I can trust him to keep my kids safe. I can trust him, you know, to bless my marriage, to bless my business, but I can't trust him when it comes to money. See, that's greed. And greed shrinks God and makes me big. I can only trust myself. I, I'm better at managing my money than the one who created all of the cosmos. He doesn't really know what he's doing. I can't trust him. Greed makes God small and me big. But watch this now. 
flip it over, flip the script. Generosity makes me small and God big. Generosity makes me small and God big. God, I don't have much, but what I have, I trust you. I trust you with it. And I'm going to follow, God, your word and how I should handle money, the mindset that I should have on finances. I'm going to handle my money, the money you've put in my hands that you've trusted me with and to manage. I'm going to glorify you with what I do, how I manage that money and those finances. Greed makes God small and me big. Generosity makes me small and God big. See, just plainly put, we're talking about slaying Gary Greed. The weapon to slay greed is generosity. There, there's, there, there's really no other weapon that is as effective of slaying greed as generosity. And, and I know anytime, every time you start talking about money, people start getting really uptight. You know what? It's Gary Greed. That's why people get uptight. That's why people get uptight. In fact, I put it this way. You know, the the baseline, in, the Bible teaches the baseline uh, of generosity is not tithing. Tithing is obedience. Tithing's obedience. It, it's, it's before the Old Testament law. Uh, in the Old Testament, before the law was given to Moses, Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. It's in the New Testament as well. I've heard, I've heard well-meaning Christians saying tithing's not in the New Testament. I don't think they've read the New Testament. Jesus talks about it uh, in Matthew 23, also in Luke chapter 12, I believe it is. Also in Hebrews, it talks again about tithing as well. Abraham, before the law, it's in the New Testament. It's all over it. Tithing is the baseline. Tithing isn't even considered generosity. Tithing is just 10%. The t- first 10% of, of our first fruits of what we make. 10% goes to the Lord's work. Generosity is above that. And, and I know you have to kind of grow into that. But there is, uh, there's nothing that, that really, no weapon that slays greed like generosity. Volunteering, it won't slay greed like generosity. Like, like actually giving our finances to the work of God. In fact, I'll, I'll put it this way. I've said this before. I'm not afraid of this at all. Because God, when we do it God's way, it works. If you think even this is self-serving, let me encourage you. Start giving 10% of your gross income to some other church. Not to Valley Christian Church. But do it. Do it. This, this is not for us. This is for you. We're in really great shape financially. But give it somewhere because if we can't, Gary Greed has got a stranglehold on us. The weapon to slay greed is not prayer. It's not fasting. It's not volunteering. It's generosity. It's generosity. That's the weapon. We are never more like God than when we're giving. When we're giving generously. I mean, you've heard it, right? But it's all over. Look at John 3, 16. Most quoted verse in all the Bible. For God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave. What did he give? His only son. His only son, the one and only. He bankrupted heaven because he loved you and loved me so much. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let me put it this way. Based on this, and we're never more like God than when we're actually giving. He gave his son. He gave his most valuable, uh, precious, if you want to say, the possession that he had, his son, one and only. 
See, you can give without loving, but it is impossible to love without being generous. It's impossible. It is possible to give and and not love. You just give because you're guilt-ridden or something like that. But it is impossible to love and not give. And not give. Every time that you and I give of our finances, we are slaying the giant of greed. Every time. Every time when we say, no, God, this is yours. This is not mine. This is yours. We're slaying that giant of greed. In fact, this is what Jesus said. (laughs) Think about it. It's possible to give without loving, but it's impossible to love without giving. Jesus phrased it this way. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this word treasure, it's not talking about volunteering time. It's literally talking about valuable possessions. It's talking about money. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. So many times we're like, I love you, God. You're so important. Here's five bucks. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Gary Greed, so difficult to see in the mirror. So easy to look at other people. Really hard to see in ourselves. So let me ask you this question today. We're talking about slaying these giants. Where's your heart? Based on your checkbook, where's your heart? We used to have a saying when I was coaching high school football that, uh, you know, when we were going to watch the game films with the team, we'd all say, hey, guys, listen, films don't lie. Films don't lie. You know what? When it comes to Gary Greed, checkbook don't lie. Checkbook don't lie. Where is your treasure? For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. You can give without loving. It's impossible to really love God without giving. Where's your heart? So here's the third thing. First, we've got to see the giant, Gary Greed. Then we've got to slay the giant through generosity. And, and, and it's not just a one-time thing, because you know what? He's like a weed. Weeds come back. You always have to weed you have to put out a pre-emergent uh you know uh, in springtime because the weeds are going to come back the dandelions are going to come back and so we have to fight this ongoing these giants want to make an inroad like okay you won this time but man next season i'm gonna get you i'm gonna get you and so here's that how do we stay free how do we stay free of greed first we got to see him then we got to slay him now we got to stay free of greed Three things real quick that I want to share with you. First of all is this. Celebrate the blessings you already have. Celebrate the blessings you already enjoy. Just celebrate. Be thankful for what you already have. Remember when your house was your dream house? Remember that? Remember when that car was just like, oh man, I can't believe this. Celebrate what you already have. So incredibly important that we thank God for the blessings he's already given to us. God, if you never do another thing, I have more than enough. I'm not scarcity mindset. I have more than enough. More than enough. Here's the second thing. Remember, joy comes from the inside, not from the outside. Joy does not come in our possessions because if they did, you'd still have it from what you already have, from what I already own. We'd have joy right now. 
Joy doesn't come from outside. Joy comes from inside. Joy comes from the inside. Joy comes from God, from, from putting him first, even in our finances. That's where joy comes from. In 2 Corinthians, it's pretty interesting, chapter 8, Paul is writing to the church of Corinth. There was this big offering that was taken up uh, for those that were needs and some Christians in need. And he begins to share with them what the Macedonians actually, what this offering was. It was just absolutely incredible to help those. They were incredibly generous to help those in need. And he makes some interesting things. I just encourage you, make some interesting points, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. But, but just drop it in in verse 2. Listen to what he says about these followers of Jesus Christ and their generosity. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2. In the midst of a very severe trial that they were actually suffering through as well, their overflowing joy in the middle of a severe trial. Where did that overflowing joy? Their overflowing joy from the inside, not the outside, from the inside out, and their extreme poverty. They're in the middle of poverty. They're in the middle of a severe trial but their joy overflows from the inside out. It welled up in rich generosity. They gave out of extreme poverty. They were still generous. See, generous has nothing to do with how much you make or how little you make. It has to do with your heart. It has to do with how free are you from Gary Greed and how focused are you on Jesus Christ as being the provider. Remember, joy comes from the inside, not from the outside. Here's the third thing. In order for us to stay free, to walk in freedom, continue to be free, trust God to mean and to do what he says. Trust God to mean what he says, to do what he says. Trust God all the promises that God has. And, and you know, I just, just touched on tithing. I don't want to get any deeper in that for the sake of time. But, but it's the one thing in the Bible that God says, test me in this. Everything else, we're not supposed to test God. But he says, you test me in this. You bring that first 10% to me and to my work. And I will open the windows of heaven and shower on you so many blessings you can't contain it. That's in the book of Malachi. He says, test me. Trust God to mean and do what he says. And it's not just in the Old Testament either. Uh, look, look at what it actually says again. Philippians chapter four, verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs. All of your needs. Every single need that you and I have, God will meet it. That's his promise to you and me. According to, his, according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. See, we think I've got to meet my needs. I've got to look out for myself. And God says, put me first. Be generous. Don't give in to the, the bondage of Gary Greed. And God will supply all of your needs. Now, here's the thing, though. He says he'll supply all your needs, but not all your greeds. Like we said, don't confuse needs with greeds. Don't confuse those two things. Gary Greed confuses those. He wants to confuse those in my life and your life. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. See, I, I want to encourage you, especially if you're young, if you're starting out, uh, something that, uh, that, that my wife Susie and I did, and, and man, it was just a game changer for us. 
For us, tithing was never an issue. I did that as a young man when I was like 10 years old. My grandfather taught me to do that. Uh, Susie's done that as she was growing up too. So giving God the first 10% of anything and everything, that was never a challenge for us. Uh, but one of the things I remember someone said to us, and, and I kind of worked it around, and, and I think it's an easy way to understand this, uh, the wording is this, predetermine your standard of living. Predetermine what standard are you gonna live at so that you can predetermine your standard of living so that you can increase your standard of giving. See, see more doesn't necessarily mean more for me. In my life, when I've experienced more, it means more for God. Predetermine your standard of living so that you can increase your standard of giving. When is enough enough? Maybe you're married. What's, what's the line where like, that's enough? We don't need anything else. We, we, it's not a need. When is it enough? Because if you don't have that line, Gary Greed is going to move it constantly in your life. You're going to not walk in the freedom that God has for you. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Predetermine your standard of living so that you can increase your standard of giving. See, we've got to trust God with our money. As we learn to be content with what God has given to us, we, we, give, we begin to experience real joy that has nothing to do with the circumstances, nothing outside, it's inside of you and me. We don't have to buy joy. You can't buy joy. Jesus purchased joy for you and for me when he laid his life down on the cross. That joy... And he rose again three days later. That joy of forgiveness and of freedom. The joy that we can be free from the shackle of greed where it's never enough. It was for freedom that Christ died to set you free, to set me free. God is always enough. Giving, not getting is spiritually rewarding. We find fulfillment in that. The more that we give, the more that our spirit celebrates. Let me end with this. John 3.16 is about giving. God gave. (laughs) Probably one of the most other quoted verses in all the Bible. Uh, I don't know why this is, but almost all the time they they read it at funerals, which is kind of sad. (laughs) because it's not necessarily about death. But, but one of the most quoted like, passages in the Bible after John 3, 16, is the 23rd Psalm. And, and, and it's just so beautiful. But I think sometimes we, we lose sight of what, what it's talking about. It's talking about that God is my provision for everything in the midst of everything. Let's look at just, just the first verse, because this is the key. The rest of the whole 23rd Psalm hinges on this statement. This is the statement, and then it goes and expands upon it what this looks like. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Period. When God is our Lord, when he is the master of our life, 
when he is first in everything. The Lord is my shepherd. And this is the New Living Translation. I have all that I need. King James, New King James, and I believe also they say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You can just replace that word want. You know what it is? I shall not greed. I shall not greed. When God, when I put him at the front, at the top, first, I've got everything I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have all that I truly need. And so right now, we're even in this time uh, for, for our church of uh, uh, May. We always kind of do a, a compassion initiative where we're actually collecting sneakers, souls for souls. Go empty out your closet, man. I, I love sneakers. My wife's been like, uh, souls for souls coming up, you know, hon? I've got more than I need. You have more than you need. But, but it's not supposed to be just shoes. I mean, let's get behind this and let's bring shoes. Let's even buy shoes. But, but let us put God first. God, be my Lord. Be the shepherd. I'm the sheep. You guide me. You lead me. I will follow. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. So let me ask you this question as we close. Is God really your Lord? Is he really your Lord? Or is he just a little part of your life? Just, just a little bit. Do you really love him? That does your, the way you handle your finances show you love him? Is he first? The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, greed is so hard to see in the mirror. <laughs> Lord, but if we look in the rearview mirror, we realize, oof, ouch. Father, I just thank you for your, your love for us, Lord, that doesn't condemn us, but does convict us. It does point out, Lord, where you want us to grow, where you want us to step up and to become more like Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Father, I just pray that you forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, for, for our greed. Forgive us, Lord, by just consuming all the time. Lord, Lord, by saying that we love you but not demonstrating it by the way that we handle what you've put into our hands. Forgive us, Lord. And Father, give us the courage by your Holy Spirit, Lord, to begin to really walk in freedom and to slay the giant of Gary Greed through generosity. May we be generous people, Lord. Grow in generosity. That we would predetermine our standard of living so that we could increase our standard of giving in generosity and break the back of Gary Greed in our lives. Thank you, God. Right now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm gonna give you an opportunity if you've never prayed before and just trusted God with your life, 
That's the first step. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that if we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he's first, that he's foremost, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. If you've never done that before, I want to lead you in a simple prayer right now that is really a prayer of faith. You can just repeat it after me. And as you pray and repeat these words after me, just open your heart to him right now and invite Jesus into that first chair, the first spot in your life to be your Lord. And just as the scripture says, you will be saved. Just repeat this prayer after me right now. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sin. I turn from my sin today and I receive forgiveness from Jesus Christ through his sinless life, his sacrificial death, and his resurrection from the dead. Today, Jesus, I invite you to be my Lord. Lead me, guide me, direct me from this day forward, and I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.